You are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from. Everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Good morning. I want to thank everybody for being here today, whether you're watching uh, from home or at the office or on a podcast later in the week, uh, wherever you find yourself listening to these words and these songs today, I just want to thank you for being a part of these conversations and a part of this community. Now, uh, I'm going to make a a statement here. Um, Women are inferior to men. What do you think about that? We have a problem. Or, or how about this one? How about, uh, how about uh, women make less uh, in the workplace because they choose to? <laughs> or how about the reason women uh, are inferior to men is because their, their muscle composition is not the same percentage as men, so that makes them weaker. For those of you listening at home, uh, somebody said, have a baby. (laughs) Now, these are the words that were spoken to me from my daughter in a conversation that we were having where she was repeating what her and a teacher, a conversation that they had had at school here in the Blue Springs School District. Now, I said that a lot of you laughed, but how does that make you feel when I say that? Angry? I mean, it should. If it doesn't, then let's go have coffee and talk about that. But I want to talk about anger today. Anger is one of those things that um, we all experience it. I think a lot of you, including myself, find ourselves angry a lot right now. Just this morning, I participated in a few conversations where there was anger expressed. I mean, I've sat down with a lot of you. When I meet with you, when I talk to you about your families and your marriages and your business relationships, your homes and your communities, there's a lot of people who are are angry right now. There's a lot of you that are living in fear. There's a lot of you that are struggling. And so we're in the middle of this sermon series, our fourth week on this, we're talking about our emotions. And I just don't think we can talk about this enough. And we call it Houston, we have a problem because the premise of that line from a movie is that Houston, we have a problem. Something else is happening right now and we are not in control. How many of you feel like there are times in your life, especially in the last year, year and a half or so, where your emotions took over your life and it didn't feel like you were in control of your own self? Anybody else feeling that? I find myself getting there many, many, many times throughout the week. And we opened this series and we talked about the way in which we center ourselves, the very first place that we start with when we're talking about emotions and our feelings. Because I made the argument that our brain answers to our heart, right? So, so the way we talk about this is there's science and our brain and there's logic and there's heart and spirit and soul. And I believe that the spirit and soul are the ones that actually make the decision. But the way that we, we get ourselves out of that constant state of fear and anger and anxiety and all these things, the place that we start, and Amy actually let us out with this, it's what? What do we start with when we want to access soul and spirit? Breath. Right? The, the Hebrew word is ruach. This is actually grounded in our faith. 
The, the word ruach means both breath and spirit. And Amy led us through this exercise where we breathe in and we breathe out. We breathe in and we breathe out. And one last time, we breathe in and we breathe out. This initial practice is the thing that centers us. Science tells us this, but we've been reading about this uh, in our Bible, and we've been reading about this in, in spiritual walks and talks and in faith and community circles. We know that spirit and breath are always been linked together. If you meditate or prayer or pray, I mean, one of the things that you do is it's about controlled breath. Breath and spirit, ruach, are the same thing. The way we access spirit is we start with breath. The next week we talked about fear and how fear is running rampant. It has always run rampant. It's not nothing new. Coronavirus is not something new with fear. Fear has been rampant in our lives throughout the history of mankind. It just expresses itself and it comes to the surface in different forms. And often we find ourselves fearful of things. Now, last week I talked about envy. And uh, after church, one of you made me sin. You may be envious. Uh, for those of you who heard it, envy is the place where we spend uh, our energy, our money, our resources, buying things usually. Usually it's financial, right? Spending time in places, buying things that we feel worthy uh, or just as good as the person next to us. So last week, now somebody can't make you sin. I was joking about that. But last week, I'm standing in back. I'm shaking hands. People are leaving. And Todd, a lot of you know Todd. Uh, Todd comes up to me. He says, this is really bad timing uh, because of the, the subject of the sermon. But I bought a really fun car this week. And I was like, ooh. Uh, so I went to the parking lot, and I drove it, right? You know, uh, it's a fast car. I've, I've always been a car guy. I love, I love muscle cars, and it's a muscle car. So we're driving. I'm driving around the block, and we have a little bit of fun. And, you know, I come back, and, and, and what do you do when you do something like this? Your friends get a new house or a new car. I mean, you know, you go, look, I wonder how much that costs, right? And what do you, what do, you do? You know, I could buy one of those. Actually, I don't do that. I have to buy a better one. And so... This is, this is our nature. You know, we struggle with this. I'm not going to. Uh, but those thoughts, uh, my nature, my, those thoughts entered my head. But it can drive our lives. And we're talking about ways in which we can structure our life. We're talking about practices we can do. We're talking about ways in which we can connect back to spirit, to God's spirit. And it's not easy. Today, I want to talk about anger because I believe that when we are afraid of something, right, and, and all, when we lose something, when things change, it creates fear in us. Fear that something's going to change. Then um, what does fear lead to? Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Yeah. Where's my Star Wars fans? Nobody? Where's Chuck? I know Chuck's here somewhere. Oh, it was him. Okay, he's on the camera. <laughs> That's a quote from Yoda, for the great theologian Yoda. But it's true. We, we struggle with these things, and, and when we're afraid of things, when we're envious of people, uh, it, it creates uh, hate and anger in our lives, and then we get mad. Now, is anger a bad thing? Go ahead. This is interactive. Is anger bad? We, we think of anger as bad, Right? We think that anger, it sounds like a negative emotion, but anger in and of itself actually is, is not a bad thing. Anger can be the driver um, that moves us in a direction. 
Anger isn't there uh, to, to make us mad. Anger is there as a preservation thing, usually a self-preservation, right? So if somebody makes you mad and angry, what do you do? You usually retaliate or something happens, somebody changes in you that, that you then do something in return of that. Now the Bible even talks about God being angry. Jesus actually gets angry in the Bible, and we'll come back to that. Now, where I actually want to start today is in our faith, in our Christian tradition, our roots um, have beginnings with the Jewish community, right? So the, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, which became, that we would call the Jewish community today, those are our roots, and that's what our Old Testament is, is a history and an understanding and a writing of our, our Hebrew roots. So our Bible's made up of, of two different sections, an Old Testament of our Hebrew roots, and then after Jesus' life, we read about people who wrote about his life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other people, a guy named Paul that started a lot of churches, and they wrote letters, and that makes up our, the newer part of our Bible. But like all groups of people, we have origins, and we have origin stories in our faith of where we come from. I mean, how many of you, I mean, it's popular today that we have origin stories, you know, for our superheroes, but how many of you knew that we had an origin story for our faith? The book is called Genesis, where we read about our origins of where we come from. And at the very beginning of Genesis, in chapters 1 and 2, uh, we, we, we use the word creation, but it's more a poem about where we come from and what we are a part of. That is our origin story, that we come from God, that we are a part of something, that we are all connected. And that's chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 3, it talks about this garden, this beautiful garden. And it talks about the struggle between good and evil. And that inside all of us, there is this same struggle that we're not sure we know what to do with. Now that's chapters one, two, and three. The very next story of our origin story to our roots and who we are, the very next story in chapter four in Genesis is about two brothers. Now how many of you have heard the story of Cain and Abel? Anybody? Well, Cain and Abel were the son of um, Adam and Eve, right? So we've read the story about Adam and Eve. Adam means first man, Eve means first woman, right? Uh, what's interesting is um, in that story, in science now, science actually could take us all the way back to a common ancestry. There was a, a common ancestor, even in the science community, uh, of, of a common ancestry somewhere, probably in Ethiopia. And so uh, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And I want to read their story for you this morning in Genesis 4. So we find this just the very beginning of Genesis, uh, the fourth chapter. It says, now Adam and Eve discovered the pleasures of lovemaking. I'm just going to go beyond that, okay? And you can feel awkward about that. It's supposed to be awkward. Uh, soon, Eve conceived and gave birth to a son whom they named Cain, right? So um, they do the thing. They, they have a son named Cain, right? Eve, who's excited, says, look, I've created a human, a male child, with help from the eternal God. Eve went on to give birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel grew up to become a shepherd, and Cain grew up to become a farmer, after he had learned how to produce food from the fields, Cain gave the eternal one an offering, some of the crops, crops that he had grown from the ground. For his part of the offering, Abel gave God some tender lamb meat, the choicest cuts from the firstborn of his flock. The eternal one accepted Abel and his gifts of lamb, while he had no regard for Cain and what he presented. So I want to stop there for just a minute. So, so this is one of our origin stories, right? These stories were told around dinner tables and campfires, 
for centuries before they were actually written down and documented, right? These stories are here to tell us something about ourselves and about where we come from. So the, the point of this story up to this point is that there are two people and they're talking about giving their offerings, right, to God. And one of them just brings what he has left over. And the other one brings from his first fruits, and the first fruits of the firstborn, it means that there was something new that they gave that and the best of, the best of the new stuff, right? So it would be the most prized thing that they were owned or were producing. And the story starts out as a generosity conversation. Now, it talks about God is unhappy with Cain because he gave with what was left over. And he's happy with Abel because Abel gave of the best and the first, right? So God's setting a precedent with how we live our lives. It's really, that part's about generosity, but I want to move beyond that, okay? So that's what we're dealing with here, okay? That's why God is upset. So um, where did I leave off here? Because of this, Cain became extremely angry and his face fell, right? So God is not pleased with Cain. Cain's angry, and, and the, the image is that his face falls, right? So he goes from happy, to sad, to mad, and to angry. And so God says to Cain, why are you angry? Why do you look so despondent? Don't you know that as long as you do what is right, then I accept you? But if you do not do what is right, watch out, because sin is crouching at the door, ready to pounce on you. You must master it before it masters you. So some people read this and are like, oh, God's being judgmental, God's exclusive. That's not what that story's about. God is inviting Cain and Abel into a sacred space of generosity and of generous living. Cain doesn't do that. And God says, listen, I'm not here to punish you, but what happens in that situation is that watch out because that can take over. And God's language to Cain was be careful because that can consume you. The actual, what did he, what did he actually say? He said, uh, be careful because um, the sin is ready to pounce on you. You must master it before it masters you. This is exactly what we are talking about. We must take control of our emotions so that they don't take control of us. There's a lot of narrative, a lot of speech, a lot of conversations right now about how people feel, and that is good. I'm glad we're talking about our feelings and emotions. That is good. I believe in our feelings and in our emotions is where we find holiness, where we find God, it's where we find spirit. We have to talk about these things. What is not healthy is when those feelings and emotions dictate everything that we do, when they take over our lives, when we're on this roller coaster of emotions, we make decisions in those highs and in those lows. It's good to experience those things, it's just not good to make decisions in those areas. God literally tells Cain that you need to control this because if you don't, it will take over your life. So what does Cain do? Cain goes out in the middle of the field with Abel. They go to have a conversation. They start talking. They get mad at each other and Cain kills his brother Abel. The point of that story is that when we don't listen when we let our emotions run rampant, that what comes from that is death. That's the point of that story. And Cain has all this anger. He uses anger. 
Now, when you read that story, it makes like anger is the enemy. It looks like anger, like that is the enemy. That's the thing we have to avoid. And some of you, some of you do this. You know, when we get into a heightened emotional state, we talk about this all the time, right? What's the emotion, what's the response in a heightened emotional state? Fight, flight, or freeze. I've been very open about this. I'm a fighter, right? When I'm angry, right? I got some Irish blood in me, some Italian blood. Like, that's why I'm sweating up here like crazy. Like this, like I grew up in a family where we're just loud and we, and we fight. And my wife grew up in a different family. She didn't, that's not how they treated each other. Her response when we first got married was more of a flight. One is not better or worse. They're both the same thing. I'm just trying to paint the picture that when we find ourselves in these heightened emotional states, regardless of how you react to it, we all experience anger. And some of us fight back and some of us bottle it all up and keep it inside. Regardless of where you are in that spectrum, I want to talk about how do we, how do we deal with that anger in a healthy way? Because anger can actually be a great driver. It can actually be a good thing in our life. And that leads me to my second scripture today. So if you're following along with me, I'm reading from Ephesians 4. Now, Ephesians was a letter written by this guy named Paul to the people in this town called Ephesus. And they were struggling with their anger. They were struggling, I mean, all in the Bible, everywhere. People's emotions get away from them. And it's when we're in those heightened emotional states, the history of who we are, the nature of who we are, is to make bad decisions and to give into the anger, to give into the fear, to give into the anxiety, right? So Paul says this when they're struggling with this. He says, go ahead and be angry. Well, that's interesting. You will do well to be angry. So not only says it's okay to be angry, you will do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Anger is not a bad thing. You know, when I told those first few phrases that my daughter and I were having a conversation about, if that made you angry, then good. Anger is the trigger. It's how we're made, right? It is the trigger in our uh, chemical makeup and our biological makeup. It's the trigger that lets us know that something is wrong. So if you're angry, if something makes you angry, that means there is a problem. Something is wrong. That is a good thing. But it's what we do with that anger. It's how we use that anger. It's how we let go of that anger. That really decides whether or not we are following the path that is good or following the path that is destructive and hurtful and harmful to others around and to those around us. Now, here's what I'm not talking about. How many of you, you're driving down the road, have ever had a flat tire? Ever had a flat tire? Ever had a change tire inside the highway? Has that ever made you angry? I mean, that is, I mean, that, that, that sucks. I'm sorry, that's not good. But that is not some kind of injustice in the world. So I'm not talking about that. There, there is a notion right now, and I see it on social media, that when people have bad things happen to them, like a flat tire, things just happen in life, everybody has these struggles. And then they'll rant and like fly off the handle and their life's falling apart because they had a flat tire. You know the people I'm talking about. If you don't, it could be. I'm talking about injustice. There are countless stories in our Bible about God being angry. Every time God is angry, 
And Jesus even gets angry. When Jesus gets angry, it's because there is injustice. You know, we've all heard the story probably of Jesus, the last week of his life, he goes into a temple and there are people taking, there are rich uh, business owners taking advantage of poor people. What does Jesus do when that happens? He flips tables over and he runs people out, right? He's angry. We see anger out of Jesus. We actually see Jesus make several comments, actually, that are like, ooh, he refers to a woman as a dog at one point. I mean, he's, anger comes out of Jesus' mouth. We see lots of stories of God uh, where he's angry. Always under the premise, though, of some kind of injustice. So to be on a path where anger is beneficial and helpful to us, the things that make us, or make us feel when there is injustice, that is the anger that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your emotions when something happens that doesn't go your way. Because that is not a good place to be. So, so when Paul says, good, be angry, you should be angry, let this work something in your life, that is the anger that I'm talking about. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. I think we talked about that at the very beginning. Anger is a defense mechanism. And often, it should be us in defense of somebody who cannot help themselves. We should be angry at a school system that allows a teacher to teach kids that women are inferior to men. That is a good thing to be angry about. And if that started up anger in you when I talked about that, that is good. It should. The next part is the hard part. It's a very, very difficult part because this is a true story. Those conversations took place in the Blue Springs School District amongst my child and a teacher. The next thing is how do we deal with it? Now, right now in our culture, and I've been very open about this, we have a culture that wants to eradicate and eliminate people when they make mistakes. We call this cancel culture. And so in that moment, we, I, in that moment, had an option. One of those options would be to call this person out on social media, to rant and rave, to call the school district demanding that they be fired. That's an option. And don't hear me wrong, don't hear me say that that shouldn't happen. Because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the manner with which I deal with it, my spirit, my demeanor, am I letting myself be driven by anger and retribution and retaliation and revenge? Or am I doing it out of the love of my daughters and my wife and every woman who is sitting here today and the women who are hearing my voice? Intent matters. Reasons matter. The way we deal with stuff matters. While the results may be the same, the way we deal with it is vitally important. Because if we are treated in a certain way, if women are treated a certain way, and, and, and those statements are said, if we just put out more anger, what have we done in the world? We've taken a situation that has created anger and negativity, and we've just added more anger and negativity to it. Jesus calls us to a different kind of life. I, so don't hear me wrong. Don't send me emails that says I agree with those statements or I think that's okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the manner in which we respond to it is vitally important. Jesus asks us to respond to those in love. 
You see, when we're angry and we're mad and we hate, we on, honestly, most of the time, we, we personify that. And so we aim that hate and that anger at a certain person instead of addressing the systemic issue that needs to be addressed. And then we create enemies, right? And then we think our job is to do what? Destroy our enemies. That is where I think we find ourselves as a culture. I see it everywhere right now. With COVID, vaccinations, masks. A lot of you have strong opinions on both sides of those arguments. I'm not saying that there is a wrong and a right in that. What I'm saying is how we treat each other because everybody's perception is their reality. They th everybody thinks they're right. Otherwise, we wouldn't do the things that we do, right? And we all know who's right, right? Our wives. And so, what does matter is that even if there is somebody who we call enemy, even if they adamantly disagree with us, if they're doing things that are, in your mind, harming others, we have a responsibility to deal with that in a loving manner because Jesus invites us to do what to our enemies? You love them. You love them. We have to start, stop pointing the fingers across the aisle to people. The demonification of people. The retaliation to people. I'm not saying don't stand for what you believe in. I'm not saying pursue the passions that you have. What I'm saying is do it in a healthy way because intent, where your heart is, these things matter. And they shouldn't come from a place of anger. They can start at a place of anger. That anger is the trigger that tells us there's a problem. But the steps and the process in which we do it is, is the same as we talked about every week. Where do we start? When you find yourself angry in a moment, when I'm back in that car and my daughter's telling me the story, what did I have to do? Breathe. We've got to pause. We've got to say, why is this happening? And then we've got to look at our options. How can we resolve this in a healthy manner? And if more of us came to the table from that point of view, instead of demonizing people, instead of saying everybody's enemy and they're wrong and I'm here to destroy them, our culture, our climate, our communities would be in a much, much better place. And while those things start in anger, we cannot stay there. We cannot stay there. This week, you're going to encounter people. I mean, some of you are going to encounter people today that are going to make you mad. I mean, those of you that have you know, family lunches on Sunday, you know how this works. <laughs> in every moment, in every situation we find, whether somebody is saying women are inferior, but don't, again, don't hear me wrong. We, we fight those injustices. But the way in which we do it is vitally important. As you encounter those difficult things, as you encounter fear, loss, grief, and anger, may they drive us to a path of reconciliation and love and community and wholeness. That is my prayer for us today. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the wide range of emotions which would 
we experience. God, we know that even you experience these things. God, help us when we experience them to have the wisdom and the knowledge to react in such a way that it might be loving and graceful. God, not one of judgment. God, not one of where we stay in anger. Help us to progress. Help us look at those around us to be loving, to be generous, to be kind, to do no harm. God, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.